This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. My name is Mike Carlin. I'm your host and I'm excited to introduce you to Cheryl Head. Cheryl is a writer, television producer, and broadcast executive. She's an Anthony Award nominee, a two-time Lambda Literary Award finalist, a three-time Next Generation Indie Book Award finalist, and winner of the Golden Crown Literary Society's Ann Bannon Popular Choice Award. Her books are included in the Detroit Public Library's African-American book list and in the special collections of the Library of Michigan. Cheryl joins me today to talk about her latest novel, Times Undoing. Welcome to Uncorking Your Story, Cheryl. Thank you so much, Mike. Nice to be with you. Oh, I'm excited to have you here, Cheryl. And I'm uh, going to ask you the question I ask everybody as we begin, which is, Cheryl, where does your story as an author begin? Oh, that's yeah, that's so interesting. Um, probably college, I think. Uh, I had my first published piece uh, in college. I was a media a major, radio, TV, film, and we were writing about the impact of television. And uh, I think the professor did a magazine and published my story. I was so psyched. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a really interesting major. Yeah, you got to, I, you know, I'm a child of the golden age of television, so I got to watch TV and get degree, degree credit. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> watch movies in class and television shows and listen to radio shows. It was a fun course. And, you know, it teaches you a lot about, I think, critical the thinking and that kind of thing. It, it was, I went to a liberal arts college, Wayne State University, and I uh, was pre-law. And I was taking the communications courses and I got bit by the communications bug and started working in television and doing lots of different kinds of writing. Yeah. And so law went by the wayside. Yeah. Law's boring. <laughs> well, I'd say I, I interview a lot of authors on this show who left the profession to pursue a career as a writer or a careers in television, things yeah, like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it sounds like the light went off uh, early enough before you got too big into a, hey, uh, that's right. Your is a <laughs> well, you know, just tell me a little bit about your your kind of writing career as a novelist. When okay. did um, when did that um, start to come to fruition? Yeah, so I worked in public media, uh, public radio and TV for thirty years, and then I took an early retirement to start to write full time. I started writing a novel uh, while I was at the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. It was historical fiction. 
Um, I've always been a storyteller and I've always worked in the, the sphere of storytelling, working with other producers and that kind of thing. And I wanted to tell the story of Negro soldiers in World War II. So I started that project. It took me eight or nine years, set in 1943. So I wanted to do honor to it. So the research was over, overwhelming. Uh, decided I wanted to write full time, however, during that process. And I self-published that first book. Um, just was glad to get it off my plate. It was sort of a labor of love because my dad had been in World War II. And I felt like the story of the Negro soldier hadn't been fully told. Um, so I, when I finished, I was just satisfied that it done that, you know, and I was doing consulting work around communications. And then I decided to take a break and to give myself some fun, I would write a mystery because I absolutely love the mysteries on television and mystery novels. And I knocked it out in four months and I was just so self-satisfied and, you know, and again, just self-published it. But an indie publisher saw it and asked me to come aboard and to use that first book as a, as part of a series. And so that's how I got started writing full time. It was a lot of kismet, I will say. Yeah. So nine years versus four months. Yeah. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> that's 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 some math that I would do and say, you know, a lot more you can do in four months. Uh, but um, what, what was that experience like kind of working with that indie publisher? Um. Interesting. It was a good, that's a good question. Uh, you know, indie publishers, so they get your book printed. They get, uh, they did a really great job of book covers. They had a, had a designer on staff, I think did a really fine job of editing. And then you're on your own, you know, marketing and promotion and all that stuff authors have to do. I really had to wear that hat. Um, because I had a communications and media background, I knew some of the things to do. Um, but I like I like learning about wherever I'm working from the inside out. So it gave me lots of room to understand publishing, at least from that small indie publisher landscape. And, uh, you know, I published six books in my series, the Charlie Mack Motown Mysteries. And I learned a lot about publishing and doing that and a lot about the process of doing it. Um, and I think I learned a lot about social media and marketing uh, in doing that. So it was I'm, I'm always looking for half glass full Success. <laughs> <laughs> well, just trying to nail down the social media part of things. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I'm I'm almost fifty, and yeah. um, and I grew up in the interactive industry. I mean, I, I my first job was in interactive marketing. I can't I can't figure it out. Like I can't building an audience through social media. Um, and I know people who do it. Like my kids, I have three twenty-year-olds. We have yeah. templates. They've yeah. got thousands of followers, and I'm like, wow. "How do you?" I'm like, "What? What have you done? Yeah, what have you done? Yeah, except go to school." <laughs> Sorry, well, Grace Patrick. And, and I, I kind of want to know the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, I, I. So do I. They won't tell me the secrets. Okay. Um, apparently, it's TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid of TikTok. To tell you the truth. <laughs> oh my god, that that is that is true. So, what, for those six books, did you stay with the same indie publisher? Yes, I did. Okay, um, and it was uh, I was I think we were helping each other because I was saying yeah. to them, "You should do this on social media." Do you know about this award? You know that kind of thing. So yeah. we, were, we were learning together. Um, it, the social media thing is a hard nut to crack, and um, I must admit I've been practicing dance moves in case I ever do do TikTok. <laughs> So far, I'm not happy with the results, so it may not ever happen. <laughs> oh, I know. So the the Demilios, Charlie Demilio, that's a, that they, they like were like the, the the big TikTok stars. They're yeah. like from one town over. 
here in Connecticut. Wow. Now they, they they left and went to California. Uh, so? But yeah. they, but I I watched them and I'm like I have a daughter who dances. I'm like you're better than them. You're better than them. What are they doing? I don't know what, what are they doing. I don't. I need a class. I need a yeah. master class. Yeah. I think I really do think it comes down to authenticity. Mm. You know, people kind of want to see you bear your soul and see you with your, all, all your flaws. I think that's the same thing that happens in our books. If people want to see an authentic character with flaws and warts and has some connection to them, they can see themselves in that character. You know, and it's hard to do when, you know, you're an author and I'm an author. So you're presenting, so you're presenting yourself, you know, and you don't want to look out. You know, I've worked a little bit on my hair before. <laughs> <laughs> But authenticity is key. You're, you're absolutely right. And whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction, I mean, some people okay. might think, well, you know, with, with nonfiction, authenticity is more important because mm-hmm. it's, you're not making things up. But even with mm-hmm. fiction, mm-hmm. Um, to, to have an authentic voice, to, to not try and pretend. Like, I've tried to write things outside of the genre, which I've had the most success in, which is kind of these quirky mysteries. Uh-huh. Um, and I've tried to write the Nicholas Sparks type stuff, um, which... I'd like to read and you know, I, I'm, I'm touchy feely, but it doesn't, it doesn't come through. Uh Um, It doesn't come through. Like my sense of humor, like will ruin like a a pivotal moment. Like I I don't know what I'm doing in that. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could write the dystopian stuff and the the fix stuff. It's so hot, you know, and I'm afraid to write write YA because I don't want to hurt any children. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like I used to, I watched all those movies with my, one of my girls, um, the maze runner. And um, what's the other one? Um, But the, Catching fire, the she has the bow and arrow. Hunger Games. Hunger Games. I love Hunger Games. I love it. I watching. do too. Yeah. But it takes me to such a dark place. Like yeah. I don't want to live in that place for four months or six yeah. months. Yeah. But you the know? kids are able to just be in that world and let it go when they're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what can you tell us about Times Undoing? Yeah, well, it was a real departure for me, Mike. Um, after writing the the mysteries. I mean it's certainly set in crime fiction and the, and the publisher made a point of saying that to me, we're really pushing this as crime fiction, but it's based on a true event in my family. And so it's the story of of two timelines, a story of a black young journalist in Detroit. I'm from Detroit who is sets off on the quest to discover what happened to her great grandfather in Birmingham, Alabama in 1929, who was killed by police officers the story is very murky in her family. It's gone on, obviously, for decades. She wants to really bring some peace and closure for her great gram, her, her great grand, her grandmother. And um, you know, it, I got started down the path after George Floyd. I had, I'd walked around with the story for lots of lots of years. I didn't think I had enough facts, enough uh, detail to really write a genuine and authentic story. Um, but uh, I was just compelled to write it after George Floyd. And I I found myself in the double narrative, which is also a dual timeline, really just imagining 1929 and then applying kind of my mystery chops to the 2019 contemporary sections. So it was an interesting labor uh, and a different kind of uh, both sides of the brains were firing, which doesn't happen a lot. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, just writing, I mean, it's its a difficult topic to write about, I'm yeah. sure. It's yeah. a personal topic for you to yeah. write about. Made it a little um, harder. And then just technically writing two timelines, I uh, have yeah. to imagine that is just something that, um, 
I, I imagine you needed your editor's help on that just to make sure everything is kind of, you know. Absolutely. Oh, I thought right. I had finished product and then the editor, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I do like logic maps. I'm definitely a plotter and an outliner and all that. And she spotted inconsistencies and I'm going like, wow, you know, wow, there's just so much minutia. But I think we got it right. Um, I organically wrote the 29 uh, chapters because just imagining my my. Uh, uh, grandfather's life and then the 2019 chapters felt more like work yeah 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 so g- going back to your your grandfather's life and, and then yeah. that part of the book um how much you know research did you do within your own family um, yeah. to 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 really bring that you know authentically to to the page yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of oral histories um and phone calls and some videos and some tapings with my mother who's still alive. She's 95 and lives in St. Pete, Florida. Um, you know, she's with every passing year, the story gets a little muddier, but she's been telling mm-hmm. the story for all our adult, I say our, my, my siblings and I, all our lifetimes. Um, most of my research went into looking at archives. So I was on ancestry.com daily. I was on newspapers.com daily and they turned out to be great resources um newspapers.com uh in particular because there are all these digital assets that are available for both uh historical newspapers but also black historical newspapers and the black uh newspapers did so great a job in the early 20th century of telling the stories of black life and so it wasn't that i found particular pieces that were that uh, pointed to my grandfather's story, although I looked for those, but the environmental and the social and the names and how life really presented itself in 1929, I could just glean from the ads and the articles and the want ads and the notices and the birth notices and the wedding announcements and all those things. Um, In doing that work, however, I found two pivotal documents that my family never had. I found my father's death, my grandfather's death certificate. We'd never had that in the family. And with that document, I had an accurate date for his death and was able to then really focus my newspaper research and came across an article in the St. Petersburg Times that named my grandfather and the headline was local Negro killed by Birmingham police. So it confirmed my mother's story that we had never, we, she knew, but we never said, oh yeah, that's the truth, mom. And that took me on a path of finding other little documents that pointed to his life there in Birmingham. Yeah. So I can only imagine the, the emotional roller coaster you were on while you were putting this novel together. I mean, not, not just with your, your grandfather's story um, and writing that timeline, but also, you know, you mentioned kind of the impact of the death of George Floyd, Mm -hmm. uh, murder of George Floyd. And it being sort of a, um, I, I mean, would you consider like a, a flashpoint for for you really, you know, putting this novel together? Definitely a flashpoint. Yeah. You know, I just felt afraid to tackle it before. Uh, and I, I think it was the day of, I, I determined, tomorrow I'm opening my laptop and starting. I don't know how it's going to start. I don't know, you know what the structure is, but I'm just going to start putting words on the page. And it, it, because I think that story needs to be told for you, especially for young people. 
that what they're seeing now in excessive force is not a new phenomenon. It is a phenomenon in America, unfortunately, that's happened for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so I think given that context kind of really helps uh, contemporary readers to see that we, you know, we're not here by happenstance. Um, I think it helps us to think differently about some kind of some some of the legislation that's before Congress, like right now, like the George uh, Floyd, Floyd Enforcement Act, which will help um, municipalities and state law enforcement agencies to really do a good job of vetting who police officers are. You know, I'm not against police officers. I grew up, you know, uh, I'm old. So I grew up when we were, you know, officers would come to our school and they'd be like officer friendly and they talk to us about things. And I grew up with that. And my sister's been a police officer. But I do think we have to do a better job of uh, helping cities, helping uh, state and, uh, and federal law enforcement understand who are the folks taking these jobs. What's the training needed? What's the, you know, maybe they need sabbaticals like teachers do. You know, it's a tough job. So maybe they need some some support around that. It's, a, you know, so I'm hoping people will look at it and say, it helps me to better understand where we are today. Yeah. Um, how how do you feel that you changed uh, during this writing process? Like personally, did you, mm-hmm. did you, feel, a, did you feel a change w- within you? Uh, I've, yes, I felt like I could write at a different level. Um, I've, I've often felt, Mike, that writing mysteries, I didn't really, especially the way I approach them, which is with such sense of logic and plot and not having the person reading it know who did it before, towards the very end, that I didn't really have a chance to write, I was going to say flowery language, but language that's really you know, um, interesting and fluid and, 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 and thought provoking. I was writing a lot of details and, uh, you know, I was, I've been a reporter, so I tend to write a little bit like that, which, which really lends itself well to mysteries in my opinion, some certain kinds of mysteries, you know, but I'm not Elmore Leonard and I'm not, you know, James Burke with these beautiful language <laughs> sentences. And I think I mean, you know, that. <laughs> Elmore Leonard, like you pick up his novel, you know, it's an Elmore Leonard novel yeah. right away. Know it right um, away. Yeah. And Just, it's, you know, to me, they're beautiful. I mean, they're, they're works of art. Yes. Um, I mean, the stories are always, you know, interesting. But yeah. for some reason, when I'm reading him, it's it takes a while. Like, it, it'll take me a longer time to read one of his pages. Interesting. And than somebody else. And, yeah. and I think it's just because of the words he chooses, the structures, the, the right. way he paints visually. Yeah. I, I, it's absolutely right. Yeah. And he does it in such a lean manner. I mean, he's not laying a lot of words on the page, but the punctuation, the words he selection, you know, and, and which is 180 degrees from James Lee Burke, which I, in one of his novels, I went counted an 83 word sentence. <laughs> you know, oh, my goodness. Both lovely, but different, but in poetry in their own way, I think. Right. Yeah. I think of an 83 word sentence today and I, I, I see my my high school English teacher, Tom Chris, just shaking his head right now. That's right. I, I went, wow, this is a long sentence, but wow. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, well, they, I mean, you know, it, it, it sounds like an, an amazing story. Um, I, uh, I personally can't wait to read it. Oh, I um, that. No, but um, I, and I just want to pause talking about it for a minute because I, I always say um, uncorking story is, is the story behind the story, which is yeah. the author's story. So okay. I just want to get to know you a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. One way I do that is through pop culture, and and you okay. kind of mentioned, um, you know, watching uh, TV and movies and listening to radio programs. Yeah. I'm curious when when you were um, growing up, or or even kind of what sticks out at you 
um, as some of your favorite things to watch when, when either when you were growing up or even when you were kind of going back into that early days of your, of your major? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm grappling. I have an answer for you and I'm grappling with the answer because of the, (laughs) because of our current social culture. So I grew up watching Westerns with my dad Mm -hmm. and I love the genre. I absolutely love it. And it's so full of sexism and racism, misogyny and all that stuff. So, but I'm still watching Gunsmoke on a regular, on a regular (laughs) basis because of, I mean, they're parables to me. Uh, I always like, Knowing the good guys from the bad guys, you know, and I, I think in my, I, I try to help my villains have full personality. So you kind of understand them, not necessarily to um, like them, but to have a certain amount of empathetic response to them, I guess I mm-hmm. would say. Um, so I, I, I like the, I like the leanness of them. I like the, um, the, you know, the, the stereotypical loner, you know, I think so much of that has resonance with the loners we find as the protagonists in classic mystery and crime fiction, you know? Um, So I I have to get over myself sometimes when I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, I probably shouldn't be watching this. Oh, my Native Native American friends are like this so much, but I'm vibing a lot right now on that um, series, 1923, 1893 Mm. Yellowstone. And I started watching them backwards and I'm fascinated by the language his voiceover narrative. I'm fat, and I, I love the environment. They, he's, I think, uh, the writers really capture that, and the, you know, all the accoutrement of being a cowboy. I think, you know, I don't. I'm not a big person around this afterlife stuff, but I think I used to be a cowboy in a previous life. That's only. Mm. That's my the only way I can account for it. <laughs> yeah, my affinity for it. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You say you, know, you like clear good guys, clear bad guys. Um, I mean, there's part of me that that does that too, that appreciates that because it just makes things like easy. Mm-hmm. But and I think so much in our culture, just TV wise, like we we with the rise of the antihero. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like that kind of that kind of all went away. So in in some ways, it's it's almost refreshing sometimes to watch mm-hmm. some of that older stuff, mm-hmm. you know, problematic as it may be, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because nostalgic reasons. I mean. But but also just because hey it's clear like your brain doesn't have to process so much. really as much that that's right um, I mean because I was like really blown away by the vill- villanelle character in Killing Eve I mean she's a psychopath to be sure mm. but I really liked her <laughs> right and I liked her outfits and all that stuff so, <laughs> right. you, know, you really have to pull yourself back and go like yeah but she's a horrible person <laughs> I mean I watched um what was that one about um Anna Delvey uh. One of those ones on Netflix. She 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 was the one who she was a con artist basically and oh, con yeah. people out of your oh, shows. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, gosh, like she does. She's clearly wrong. Yes. But you for the the, the way that she's written and the way they portrayed her on screen. Right. Um, you kind of feel you kind of root for her a little bit. Yeah, like, yeah she, she should get away with this. <laughs> That's we're bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to go back to church. But on, on uh, the hand, Dahmer, I wasn't interested in Dahmer at all. I didn't. I didn't do it. Mm-mm. I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. I didn't do it. Um, what about music? What did you like to listen to? Okay, so I have pretty eclectic tastes in music, and I try to explore everything. So 
I I love a lot of classic rock stuff. Again, I've got this white cowboy stuff in me. You know, so I I like Steely Dan a lot. I like all Motown. I grew up in Detroit, so every Motown song is a wonderful classic to me, uh, you know, obviously. Um, My partner likes opera, so we listen to opera on Saturday. But here's here's the problem, and I don't tell her this. At some point in the opera, I always think, caterwauling. <laughs> the word just pops into my head. So I think I'm not going to ever be an opera buff. <laughs> <laughs> I think opera is good music to cook to. Um, when I, and I had an Italian grandmother, so we would listen to Italian music on Sundays when she, she taught me how to cook. So I used to... And so I could rally. So that's when that's where it, it plays in my head. Interesting. Um, Making a nice tomato sauce. Yeah, I can see. Absolutely, <laughs> and it, it makes the food taste better. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the purpose of it. Then thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Why are we listening to this? <laughs> yeah, that, I just yes ended you right there. So there, there you go. <laughs> um, and, uh, the music. Man, I'm old, so I just watched Rihanna yesterday on the Super Bowl show, and I'm thinking. I don't know any of these songs. I think I knew one. Well, I mean, I knew I knew the songs, but I'm I'm such like I, I I'm like, is this okay for the baby being that high up? You know, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm like, oh, if she falls, oh my goodness! You can tell we're parents. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, I um, I uh, but I thought it was. I thought she did a a great job. Yeah, um, great choreography. I thought. You know, the choreography was spectacular. The, it was a visual. Yeah. Um, is visually very, very good. I mean, and I love this year's Grammys. I thought it had a nice cross-section of music that I could relate to. I liked Bonnie Raitt. I was happy for Bonnie Raitt. Yeah. And I liked watching the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. That was interesting. You know, I missed the Grammys. Oh, you should. Um, it was I, well, I was, I was staying with my parents. My parents are 90. I was down in Florida with them last nice. week. And I know the last thing they're going to want to watch is the Grammy Awards. <laughs> um. So my wife is texting me. She's like, oh, my God, are you watching this hip-hop thing? Yeah. I'm like, no. Like, what What, what are you talking about? She's like, the Grammys are on. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then my, my kids are blowing up a family group text with, you know, whatever was happening with Sam Smith dressed right. up like the devil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, what? The devil. <laughs> yes, he was. I mean, that sounded detached. Right? Yeah, that was that. <laughs> but, but whatever. But I, I missed the Grammys, and I'm kind of bummed about it because yeah. I can't. Watching the watching clips is not the same as watching the actual. Yeah, and YouTube eventually will have the whole thing. You can watch it maybe in yeah. a couple months. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, geez, what else can I ask you? Uh, we we've talked about so much. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure if we've got it all. So okay. um, let me ask you this then. Okay. Um, big things you've learned about yourself since writing since writing novels, mm-hmm, um, particularly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what have mm-hmm. you? What are some big lessons you've learned about Cheryl? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've learned, and I tell people this, I think everybody has a story to tell. I mean, maybe we don't all want, want to see all of them in print. Um, I think it's important for a writer to find her or his own voice. We talked a little bit about authenticity. I think it, that's key to it. You know, I hear people say there are no new stories. I just don't believe that. I think there are lots of new stories because there have been a lot of stories omitted from our history. So Mm. each time we grab one of those and put it to the forefront, I think it's, you know, gives fodder for more stories like that. So I I, I don't believe that. Writing advice I've gotten was always write what you know, and I hate that advice. Uh, I think I want to always write about what gives me passion, what really Mm. makes my antennae stick up. And uh, I think I'll always tend to do that. Um, 
I know I want to write about race and tolerance because I think it's the, the, the key factor for America finding itself at the top of its ideals. I believe in this country. Uh, and I believe we're one of the few countries that has this conversation. I just want the conversation to be more constant, more focused, uh, so that we can come together and be as great as we can possibly be. And I think it's, I, I'm Pollyannish, half, half full glass. <laughs> so there you have it. <laughs> I, you know, this idea of writing what you know, like part of me gets it and why people say that. But mm -hmm. the other part of me is if you're just writing what you know, A, you're going to get bored. After all. A, are you going to learn anything? Are you going to learn anything new? I yeah, mean, I you know. I learn new things. You know, that, that's, so that's why I want to, I'm writing Western. I'm trying to write a Western. I'm scared because I don't want to mess it up because I love the genre too so much. But I'm making giving a contemporary theme, so that's interesting to me. I don't know if I'll ever write spec fiction. You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just you know, I think the important thing is not to, you know, put yourself in a box. Yeah. Um, which yeah. you clearly have not done. You know, <laughs> just kind of, uh, you know, playing around with with genres a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, from nonfiction to. Uh, and I believe in, you know, continuing, continuing to learn. And so I'm going to probably take a short story class because I, I like to write short, short stories, but I don't have it right. And I know I don't have it right. So I yeah. want to get that key. So the, the flip switches and I know how to end, end the story. Um, so my last question for you then will be if you could go back in time mm -hmm. um, and, and whisper some words of advice into your younger self's ear. Um, oh, what would you tell your younger self? And I don't know what age, you know, mm -hmm. to, to give you here, but okay. just what would you tell a younger version of yourself? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say, you know, don't rely on being a late bloomer. I, I think I, I'd say don't be afraid of the opportunities that, that put themselves in front of you. Just leap into them. Um, I think I, I think I was too cautious in the first half of my life, and I think I would – do things a little bit differently. I'm never going to be the person like Rihanna standing on those things, wiggling, you know, hundreds of feet in the air, but I could, I could take more chances, have more adventures, uh, leap at opportunities faster. I think that's important to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then the kind of not holding yourself back. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. Well, where can people buy times undoing? Um, anywhere fine books are sold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I mean, literally, I, I'm I'm so pleased that my book will be in Walmart. And, you know, that's my sign of success. My big sign of success, Mike, is when my book is in in that rotating wire rack at the airport gift shop. That's why I know I made it. <laughs> that's it's funny you mentioned that because I, I I was traveling somewhere with one of my books uh, to give it to somebody, um, and I was in the airport bookshop, and uh, I just put it on the rack. Just, <laughs> I'm gonna do that. <laughs> and, and but then I snapped a picture of it and I put it up on social media. And somebody's like, "Oh my God, you've come such a long way." I'm like, "No, I, I put that there. I'm just hey, what's wrong with that? It's called distribution. <laughs> it's a creative distribution. I'm not. I'm not." Above it. Uh, well, this has been fun, Cheryl. Uh, do you have a website or uh, social yeah. media Cheryl handles you want to share? You can find me. The FBI can find me. I have nothing to hide. Cherylhead.com. <laughs> I'm uh, C Head Writes on Instagram. Uh, C H E A D D C at Twitter. I'm kind of an open book. <laughs> All right. Very good. Cheryl, thank you for stopping by and corking the story My, and letting me uncork nice yours. To talk to you. It was a great way to start a Monday. <laughs> Thank you.
Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.